Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And we thank you once again for hitting play on the podcast listening device of your choice. On today's show, we'll talk some baseball stories with John Frost. He has a brand new podcast called Life at the Ballpark. He is standing by in the virtual green room, and he will join us in just a moment to talk about that. So the Andrew Luck sudden retirement story, boy, if this isn't the poster child for the hot take artist, I don't know what is. Because you knew as soon as that news came out, there was going to be a whole lot of people wanting to rip Andrew Luck for suddenly retiring out of the blue. And among them, Doug Gottlieb of Fox Sports retiring because rehabbing is too hard is the most millennial thing ever. And this prompted a great response by Troy Aikman. And I've been critical of Troy Aikman as an analyst in recent years just because I think he's kind of gotten a little bland, a little too predictable, not really willing to rock the boat a little bit. And I want to see more of what Troy did with his tweet translate on television. Um, you know, he was really good when Fox did the NFL draft, and I thought he, he performed very well and thought, you know, maybe he should switch to the studio. And his retort to Doug Gottlieb, that's total BS, Doug. Of course, he lit it up the whole <laughs> the whole eight characters. What qualifies you to decide how one, someone should live their life? So you're now the authority on what motivates Andrew Luck? And if his decisions don't fit into what you think is best for him, then you rip him? Guess that's what keeps you employed on FS1. Nice. <laughs> Troy, that was awesome. <laughs> that was just plain outright awesome and it's nice to see these hot take artists who you know Doug Gottlieb now is a guy who was an athlete played college basketball he should know better and he has never been on a professional football field getting his brains beat in so that you know unless you walk that mile in somebody else's shoes you are not qualified not qualified to make a statement as to that. And look, this is his life. He doesn't like being hurt all the time. It's his darn right to get out while the getting is good. So we wish Andrew Luck the best in his retirement. And uh, great job, Troy Aikman, on setting the record straight. And it is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast this week uh, an old radio colleague of mine. He's a public address announcer at uh, Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium down in Palm Beach and has started a new podcast called Life at the Ballpark. We welcome John Frost. John, thank you for being here. Thanks, Jeff. It's, it's nice for you to invite me to be on your podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, and I'm glad you're able to do it. And so you started it earlier this year, back in the spring. What was the inspiration for you to start uh, to tell these stories? Well, it, it, was a, it was an interesting adventure for me. In my other life, I help radio stations, um, you know, have higher ratings or make more money or whatever they do. And so a lot of my clients 
we're beginning to get into the podcasting world. And, uh, you know, I certainly know it from a programming standpoint because that's what I do. But I wanted to know it even more than that. I wanted to get my, my hands dirty. I wanted to be able to get into it and understand how it works. And I said, well, there's no better way to do that than simply doing my own. And, and my zip code happened to work in my favor because, as you say, I've been the public address announcer uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals in spring training for the last 20 years and done the minor league teams as well. And so I'm in the press box where I'm, I'm literally bumping in to all of these people that have these amazing stories to tell. And I said, well, gee, I mean, I have such great access to these people. Why don't I just start a podcast of my own? And, and, I, and I, I didn't want it to be a typical uh, you know, the day of the game, who's starting pitcher today, what's the starting lineup, who's injured. I really wanted it to be a, a bigger idea. And the bigger idea I got from, believe it or not, there's actually a story to this. In the movie Moneyball, there is a scene where Billy Bean and his team, the Oakland A's, are preparing for the draft. And there's this scene where there's this room full of scouts. And one of the lines in this, in this scene was, the scout says, I don't think we should draft him. He's got an ugly girlfriend. <laughs> I remember that. And, 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 and what he meant by that, he said, which that means low self-esteem. Well, of course, it's a funny line. It's a funny scene. But when I heard how that even got in the movie, I became really intrigued because the directors of the movie did not cast the scouts. They just got real scouts. Hmm. And they put them in a room and they said, you guys just talk like you normally talk. And that was one of the lines that came out of it. And working in the press box the way I do, I'm constantly, you know, walking past tables of scouts and walking past tables of front office executives and former players who are all having lunch prior to spring training. And as I walk past, I hear these wonderful stories they're telling. And I'm thinking, you know, the fan doesn't really get to hear these stories. These are amazing stories. And in baseball, I don't know if it's the same in other sports, but in baseball, they're all laughing and they've They've all been a part of a great fraternity, and I've been able to eavesdrop in my role on a lot of these stories. And so I said, why don't I create a podcast that's about hearing these stories? And so I call it Life in the Ballpark. So I hear about these things about when did you fall in love with baseball, and what was that moment in time that, that changed your life forever? You know, the story of Dakota Hudson when he was playing for Memphis, the Cardinals AAA Farm Club, and he's, he's standing on the mound, and the, and the manager of the of Memphis Redbirds, Stubby Clapp, comes to the mound with a baseball. And, of course, for a starting pitcher, that's never a good thing. But he, but he gets to the mound, and he hands, Stubby, uh, the, uh, uh, he, he hands Dakota Hudson the baseball, and written on the baseball is, you've been called up to the big leagues. Oh, nice. So Dakota Hudson hugs his manager, hugs all of the teammates on the infield, and you see him walk back to the dugout, and all of his teammates in the dugout hug him. And you're going, what is going on? This guy's just been pulled from the game. <laughs> so it's those kinds of stories that I really look forward to sort of give fans hopefully a, a glimpse into the kind of conversations that you and I would hear in the press box, but most people don't get to hear. So that's the idea behind it. Yeah. And so you started off your first podcast with a, a, a broadcast legend who, yeah. uh, you know, was at the very beginning of ESPN Radio and Lou Palmer. Yeah. Uh, and, and I guess you work with him down there some as well. Yeah, I do. And, and, and I, I, I started with Lou for one. <laughs> this is really kind of behind the scenes. I started with Lou for one of two reasons. One is, you know, he's a pal of mine. I've worked with him for 20 years. And he has such a, he's, he's a story machine. You can just wind him up and let him go. But the other thing is, 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 is I'm not the most technically savvy guy in the world. And I said, you know, if I screw this up, 
at least I'll have Lou, I could go back to him again because he's right here and we could do it again. <laughs> so I knew that, that he would be doing the heavy lifting and I wouldn't have to do a lot of the work. And plus I had the technical side. And it actually turned out to be a, a pretty wonderful uh, podcast as he told the origin of ESPN and how ESPN even got its name and all of those old stories that I've heard him tell in the press box for 20 years. So I think he was, I think he was a wonderful inaugural guest. Yeah, so you interview players, uh, coaches. Um, you know, I've been listening to some of these, and, and, and some of the ones that really kind of stand out to me, uh, Dan Bilardillo. Yeah. The, the guy who, yeah. who had to be next after Johnny Bench. That's, That's a pretty right. tall order. Yeah. And, and I loved hearing that story and also hearing the story of, of how he became such great friends with, with the late, great Tony Gwynn. Yeah, he, he has a couple of relationships that I asked him to talk about, and he was on the San Diego Padres. Dan Bellardella we're talking about, who was a catcher for the Padres, and he became very, very good friends with Tony Wynn, and then they had a wonderful relationship, and and uh, and he was able to tell me just, you know, what an amazing, not only obviously a baseball player and a future Hall of Famer, but what a wonderful human being he was, and, and I really got to tell the story basically of two friends two friends from very different backgrounds, one African-American, one a Southern California boy, who really became best of friends during their time with the San Diego Padres. And I just felt like it's a wonderful story. Yeah. And, and the fact that, uh, you know, that he was able to, you know, kid around with Johnny Bench about Johnny yeah. Bench being his backup. <laughs> exactly. He said he could actually hear Johnny Bench calling his name from the stands. And he said, I know who that voice is. Yeah. And, and to be able to step in, he played, uh, I guess it was 1983, was Johnny Bench's last day, last mm -hmm. year. And uh, Dan Bellardella was the starting catcher for the Reds that season, and Johnny Bench played mostly left field. Yeah. So one of your guests was Kurt Nelson, uh, director of the Kansas City Royals Hall of Fame. And uh, what I found very interesting was the, uh, the, the discussion about the, the Negro Leagues. Yeah. You know, and Kansas City double. was such a prominent area for that. Um, yeah. You know, what, what did hearing about those experiences, what did that bring out for you? Well, um, first of all, Kurt Nelson was so charming and so what a wonderful storyteller. I actually ended up making two parts because I generally wanted it to be about 20 minutes and the guy just kept going and he ran through the stop sign and I said, well, you know, this is too good. I'll make two, two parts out of it. It's, it's really the first time I ever did that, but it was well worth it because so much of the stuff that he talked about, his connection to the Royals, uh, in fact, he was born almost within weeks of the time that the Royals got their franchise to obviously the, the Negro Leagues and the Negro League Hall of Fame is, is and museum is in, is in Kansas City. And of course, I know most of that from uh, the, the baseball, uh, the, the, the baseball movie where, you know, the, uh, the, the, the old timers are, are telling these wonderful stories. And, and that's the part that I really wanted to get in with him. And, and what was that like? And what was there? And what was, what was it like as an experience? And one of the things that Kurt Nelson really, shared with me that was that was so eye-opening was just the the sociological impact of the negro leagues as a matter of fact one of the things he told me is there was professional baseball in kansas city before kansas city even had its name mm. and so to be able to really track that and and what what happened in civil rights around the kansas city area and how transformative it was and even even to the degree that african-american people were could uh, could enlist in the, in the service and be drafted, and all of that really is tied back to Jackie Robinson breaking the color line, which obviously goes back to the Negro Leagues. So Kurt Nelson was able to share a lot of those stories, talk about a lot of the things in the in the Kansas City Royals Hall of Fame, from the from the Hall of Fame members that they have, uh, George Brett, Brett Saberhagen, 
people like that and the impact that they had on the community. And then also the other thing that I thought was so interesting was to talk about Kansas City in terms of the David and Goliath aspect of, you know, in the mid-70s, late 70s, 76, 77, 78 in particular, they were always in the playoffs with the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And of course, this was, this was right as free agency was beginning. And so this idea that a small, small market team like Kansas City could play against the Yankees in the playoffs and then the, the, the infamous moments of the George Brett upper deck home run against Goose Gossage, which we still consider one of the greatest moments in playoff history, to the Chris Chambliss rounding the bases and being mobbed at Yankee Stadium. All of those were part of the Yankee Royals uh, uh, playoff series in, the, in those times. And then he brought it to 1980. He brought it to 1985. 1985 just happened to be my first World Series that I ever went to in person. And, of course, he brought it to the, 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 the 14 and 15 teams mm-hmm. as they did. And so for him to really trace the chronology and the sociological and, and tie the Negro Leagues in into it, the birth of baseball in Kansas City, and, and just the, the idea that it was his team. And he was, he was born right after the Royals franchise was, was granted. I just thought it was a, a wonderful adventure down memory lane. Yeah, and not only have you delved into the past, but you kind of delved into what the future had become. Uh, the uh, show with Joe Frazar, the beat re- uh, reporter for yeah. the Miami Marlins, MLB.com. So he was really like one of the guys who first made that move out of newspaper into that. And and you think about you know how technology has transcended the sport so much. And you know I I was so excited in the late '90s to you know fire up real audio to try to listen to a Braves game. It would buffer like every five minutes. (laughs) And, you know, and now, you know, you can walk around with your phone and watch a baseball game. And to see how that transformation has taken place is, and and Major League Baseball really has kind of been the leader of all all the major sports in that that front, I believe. Oh, well, that's one of the things that Joe Frasero of MLB.com, who covers the Marlins, that's the one of the things he was sharing with me. And that's one of the things I love about doing something like we're doing right now in the interviews on the podcast, is that you can see the impact on an individual. You can see uh, Joe Frasero, in this case, talking about being a professional, being on the cutting edge of the digital medium and and sports reporting coming together, and what that was like. And and he, he had a role in that. I mean, he's certainly not a household name. But he's a wonderful guy, and he covers the Marlins all the time. And so I see him in the press box. And those kinds of stories about how do I fit into what he would say, uh, history, the way he would put it is every game that he's he's recording, history is being made. And at any moment, uh, history could happen. And it's our job as reporters or, or broadcasters or whatever, we're actually chronicling things that could be moments in history that very game. I also did a similar one with a historian for the Houston Astros, who was uh, telling me a very similar story about the Astros, and he was in charge of putting together the Astros Hall of Fame. So it was really interesting to see how they went about it and, and how they included people and uh, honoring the past, uh, the, the history of both the Houston Astros and the Kansas City Royals. I'll also tell you one other quick story that, that hasn't made a podcast yet, but it's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, this idea of sort of being in the press box and bumping into these people that you don't even know. I was working a minor league game one year and there was a scout up in the press box who was wearing a, a, a pair of really nice cowboy boots. And so I went up to him and I said, uh, excuse me, do you happen to be from Texas? And he says, yeah, I'm from Texas. And I said, well, I'm from Texas. I said, I grew up right outside Dallas, Fort Worth. And he says, I'm, I'm, I live in Irving, Texas. and I'm a scout for the New York Yankees. And I said to him, well, my very first baseball game was the very first game in the Houston Astrodome. It was April 9th, 1965. It was an exhibition game 
between the New York Yankees and the Houston Astros. And I was eight or nine years old. And my dad just said, well, you need to go see this. But when I told him that, the guy looks at me and he says, who got the first hit in that game? And I immediately came back with, it was my favorite player when I was growing up. It was Mickey Mantle. Yeah. Mickey Mantle, New York Yankees got the first hit. It was exhibition game. And then he says to me, well, who got the first hit for the Astros? And I go, I don't know. And he says, I did. <laughs> and the guy's name is Ron Brand. He was the starting catcher for the Houston Astros in that very first game in the Astrodome. And I bumped into him at the press box just because he was a scout from the New York Yankees and he was wearing cowboy boots. Yeah. And we began this conversation. And one of the fascinating stories that he told me, and I could, I could do 30 minutes just on this, is the, the Yankees, of course, were the famous team at the time. And the Astros were just beginning. It was the very first game for the Astros. But the, but the Yankees were famous. And the Yankees had been in the World Series the year before with the St. Louis Cardinals. And Mickey Mantle was hurt. And Mickey Mantle was deciding whether or not he could even play in that first game. And so one of the things that they did is they batted Mickey Mantle leadoff because they wanted to make sure that fans got to see Mickey Mantle because that's why people were there. Mm -hmm. Mickey Mantle was a switch hitter, and he came to bat left-handed as the very first batter, and Ron Brand was the catcher. And Ron Brand told me the story of he said to Mickey Mantle, hey, Mick, you might want to take a pitch because all of these flashbulbs are going to go off. First ever indoor baseball game, history moment. And Mickey Mantle looked at him and said, take a pitch. I'm so scared. I, I don't know if I can even stand at the plate. <laughs> That's an awesome story. And, and so those, those kind of behind-the-scenes things that you just in, – in that case, I really just kind of accidentally fell into the story, and he was able to give me a background on all this stuff. And, of course, with Mickey Mantle being my favorite player when I grew up, I thought that was a really interesting insight. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so one of the gentlemen you've had on is uh, uh, one that I'm very familiar with as well, is the man who made the magic happen in Orlando, Pat oh, Williams. Sure. Sure. And for a man that is as great as he was in yeah. basketball, yeah. and the fact that he loves baseball even more, yeah. and, and he learned at the, the, the feet of the great Bill Vec, yeah, um, you know, uh, it, it is so wonderful to always hear Pat tell a story because yeah. you don't have to give him much to start with. <laughs> no, he's, he's a wonderful storyteller. And that's the reason, well, when I heard Pat was going to retire, that was one of the things, because he's almost 80 years old at yep. this point. And when I heard he was going to retire, I said, well, I got I to gotta do a podcast with him because exactly like you said, most people think of him as an NBA Hall of Famer, the founder of the Orlando Magic, which, which you know, is, is you know, obvious. But most people, I would think, don't know that his love for, for, for baseball. And he and I had a, happened to have an experience before, which you know about, at a certain radio station. And we went to several spring training games together. And so I was able to sit in a spring training game and hear his stories about how he loved baseball. And, of course, I knew what a wonderful storyteller he was. So I reached out to him. And it was, it was funny. It was the weekend of, let's see, it would have been Memorial Day weekend. Because the Magic, as you know, was, was scheduled to hopefully be in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. They didn't make it that far. And so basically that weekend, the, the Magic offices in Maitland were closed. And I'd call Pat to say, hey, Pat, would you do this interview? And he said, sure, John, come on down. Well, I didn't realize that he was actually staying for the, just to see me. Everyone else had gone home. <laughs> I, said, I feel terrible. He says, no, I wanted, I wanted to do this. This was fun. And so he told me a lot of the stories, like you said, of growing up in, Philadelphia, in, the, in Delaware, in the, in the Phillies area, 
being the best friends with the son of the Phillies owner, Bob Carpenter, his best friend was Ruley Carpenter, and really just being raised on baseball and being a minor league baseball player, then becoming a minor league front office executive, and then being lured by the Philadelphia 76ers. Just out of the blue, he says he, he got a, a phone call from Inglewood, California. He was the general manager of the Spartanburg Phillies in the minor leagues, and he got a call, call out of the blue from Inglewood, California, from Jack Ramsey, he said. And he said he knew the name Jack Ramsey from being with the Philadelphia 76ers, but he said, why would he be calling me? He had never even met the man. And so he returned the phone call, and sure enough, it was that Jack Ramsey, and they had a conversation, and ultimately, Pat was hired to go to Philadelphia to be the business manager, front office business manager for the 76ers. And so I said to Pat, I said, Pat, did you ever anticipate that you would get into basketball as a career? Here I am asking somebody who's in the Basketball Hall of Fame. He said, no, I was a baseball guy. He was totally out of left field. He said that would never happen today, but it happened then because he never even met Jack Ramsey. And, of course, Pat then proceeded to tell me, you know, every stage of his life from, from that moment on to, 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 the, to, the, to the founding of the Magic to, to all of the thing, people he had met in autographing a baseball book that I, that as I was able to witness about the 100 best players in baseball, and he had almost every page autographed and and a story for every page. So Pat is just, as you know, he's just a delightful human being and a wonderful storyteller. And I think he would have sat with me four hours if I'd wanted him to, because, because what he said was Bill Beck did that for me. Yeah. He said he was able to run into Bill Beck and Bill Beck's, he was hoping for 20 minutes and Bill Beck, the former owner of the Chicago White Sox said, he said five hours later, he says, I was driving away from his house and he said, Bill Beck, Bill Beck did that for me. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Man. I had Pat on. I had Pat on to talk about the the thirtieth season of the Magic and yeah. and the fact that you know he didn't when he was being quote unquote recruited by Jimmy Hewitt to bring the team. You know he was he wasn't he was thinking, hey, the team where's it going to go? Miami, Tampa? He wasn't even thinking Orlando. Well, that's right. Yeah, and uh, and I think one of the other to kind of tie this back together, you know, with Jack Ramsey, uh, Jack Ramsey's daughter. I worked with her in my very first radio job. She was the morning show producer, and oh, and Pat would do radio shows, uh, and 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 he does a great radio show, obviously. Sure. And uh, he'd have Doctor Jack on, and it's it, and always great how those relationships come back yeah. around and yeah. around. So you already knew about that relationship when you heard him on my podcast. Yes, exactly. Oh, yes. So let me ask you a few questions about. The state of baseball today, okay. Um, okay. since you are the, uh, as big a baseball fan as I know, uh, the, 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 the home runs barrage that's going yeah. on this season, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think there's several things. I think baseball is, is at a really interesting point because there's so many things that have, that have happened in recent years that have fundamentally changed the game. I think the shift has changed the game. I think the, 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 the data, the sabermetrics have changed the game. And I think the home runs, obviously something is going on. I don't know whether the ball's juiced or, you know, some people talk about the, the stitches aren't as high and pitchers can't get a grip, but it's really changing. It's changing the game. And certainly the idea that they're teaching the loft angles that they are now because they want the home runs. So there are more strikeouts and there are more home runs, which means that there's less of something else. And I heard Tony LaRusso talking about that the other day on, on one of the things that, that he records every week, talking about, you know, the things that aren't in the game now as a result. So you're, you're seeing fewer stolen bases, you're seeing fewer hits, hit and runs, you're seeing more strategic plays that to some, and I would include me in, in this 
in this bunch. Those are very important to my enjoyment of the game. Part of what I love about baseball is the strategy. And what's he, I'm going to do this. What's he going to do? He's going to do this. What am I going to do? And, you know, I love a good home run like anybody else. But, you know, when it, when it sort of removes a part of the game that is very dear to us, I think it's, I think it's a real challenge. And I know that they're trying to appeal to younger people. They're trying to keep the game moving, and I get all that. I mean, I've I've worked plenty of sixteen inning minor league baseball games, and I know that I know that they can uh, they can drag on for a while. I certainly appreciate that. But I but I do think that there is going to be an evaluation uh, fairly soon about what are the un, what are the unintended consequences of some of these things. Because uh, I'll, I'll go I'll go into the shift as a perfect example. I mean, I I work spring training games. For the for the Cardinals, and I'm seeing these guys shift in spring training. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'll be the first or second game in spring training. They'll be pitching to Matt Carpenter, and they'll have four guys to the right side of the infield and nobody on the left left side of the infield. And it's February 25th. Yeah, and you just go, my gosh! I, I guess they just have to practice it. But how fundamentally that's changed the game, and 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 to some degree, it's it's uh, well, I think we're all going to have to get used to it because I don't think it's going away. I mean, they have the data. They, they know that this is going to happen. But what's happening, and it happened to Matt Carpenter the other night, he's finally learning to hit the other way. Mm-hmm. So you just, you know, baseball is a total game of, of adapting. Do, do they shift as prominently in the minor leagues? You know, you know it's interesting. They do. And okay. that, that's a bit of a surprise to me when you see, when you, see you know, and, I, and I'm, in, I'm in A-ball, what they call advanced A-ball, when you see a number nine hitter coming up late. And this, this guy's not a prospect at all. But you see him put on the shift for this guy. I mean, he's hitting a buck eighty-five, and he's hitting eighth or ninth, and they put the shift on for these guys. So I guess it's a matter of establishing a culture of a team, and this is the way that we're going to do it. But I, I have seen, and I, I'll tell you one of the things that's really weird to, that I haven't gotten used to is in the minor leagues the last couple of years in extra innings, they actually put a runner on second base to start the next half inning. Mm. So the guy hadn't even batted. And they're putting him on second base. And now they also have the new intentional walk rule, which is you don't have to throw four pitches to him. So literally in one game, I saw a guy on second and a guy on first, and not one pitch had yet been thrown. Wow. <laughs> and I yeah. was like, can you believe we're watching this? And one of the guys that I sit next to is a former major league pitcher, and he's looking at me thinking, I never thought I'd ever see this. Yeah, and that's not the great – one pitch has been thrown. Yeah, and that's the great thing about baseball. You will always see something you've never seen before. <laughs> it, and, and it we, always... we remind ourselves of that all the time. That happened to me just a couple of nights ago. The third baseman for one of the teams was catching an infield pop-up, and he bobbled it in front of it and ended up catching it on over his shoulders on the backside. Almost like his hands <laughs> behind his back. And I said, well, I've never seen that before. <laughs> there you go. So do you think, you know, pitching will now kind of start to shift back towards it's not all about the heat? Well, you know, that has changed the game so much. That's one of the reasons that we're seeing starting pitchers go five innings mm-hmm. is they, they have stats on the third time around and how, how less effective starting pitchers are the third time around. And they can, they can, they can, they can put that in data. And so then you have your sixth inning guy, you have a seventh inning guy, you have your eighth inning guy, and then your ninth inning guy is throwing nothing but heat. And so that's where you're getting the injuries. That's why they're so strict on pitch counts. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some guys, uh, well, we saw it the other night with Dakota Hudson with the Cardinals. With Cardinals. He was pulled, throwing a no-hitter in the seventh inning because he had reached 78 pitches or whatever. Yeah. So that, that now is the game. Yeah, and and it's and it's changed the game. It's changed the way it's played from the from you know the the question I I I will ask the 
the guy who was sitting next to me, his name's Will McEnany, played for the Cincinnati Reds uh, in the 75-76 Reds. I'll say to him, is there going to be a day where you no longer have to pitch five innings to get a win? It seems to me that that's coming down. Yeah. Because yeah. if you only let them pitch five innings, only for a win, then what's the value of the stat to begin with? Yeah, that's a, that's a, great, that's a great point. Um, so, you know, one of these things dovetails into all the others, and the way they use the bullpen is all based upon that a starting pitcher hardly ever goes six or seven innings anymore. Yeah. So you work for the Cardinals organization. Um, how do you like their chances of uh, postseason play? Well, it's been an interesting season for them. They've had a very uh, a hot and cold. They had a wonderful April. Then they had uh, horrible months in between. And as of right now, I think they've won uh, 15 of their last 18 games. Um, you know, they've got a lot of guys hurt. They've got lives, cut, lives coming back. The, my biggest concern about the Cardinals right now is they're starting pitching. Their starting pitching is not at all the best uh, of, of any team uh, in their league, and they're going to have to go up against the Dodgers. You know, they're going to have to go up against these other teams. The, the rest of the lineup is very solid. The bullpen is very strong uh, when they're not hurt. But starting pitching is, is not very uh, – uh, you know, Jack Flaherty is their number one guy. Um, Dakota Hudson may be their number two guy, and Adam Wainwright's their number three guy. They don't have enough, they don't have enough five guys. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that uh, I think it's going to be tough for them in the playoffs, but they're playing far better right now. Paul Goldsmith's finally gotten hot. Matt Carpenter, you know, who knows uh, how he's going to end up. They have several guys who have really come in their own. It's fun to see Yachty at his age. I think he's 37 years old, still playing like an all-star. they got Harrison Bader in center field. Dexter Fowler's having a good year. So they have a lot of good players. The Cubs are not having a good year. Uh, and uh, and the Brewers are you know they they have a future MVP Christian Yelich on their team so I do think the Cardinals have a chance to win their division but I think the division play and the league playoffs will be very tough for them because they're starting. Yeah, and I saw one of your tweets uh, just recently that uh, uh, regarding the the Dodgers and Yankees on Players Weekend not get <laughs> not getting to wear the right uniforms. I mean, yeah. yeah, you know, and I and I get what they're trying to do with the Players Weekend. But my biggest gripe, and I think MLB has changed it, like, you know, they used to do it, you know, you know, you had to wear pink for Mother's Day and light blue for Father's Day and all that. And, and I think this season they kind of went back to, okay, let the teams wear their colors and we'll mix in some of this stuff, you know, you know maybe change the hat as yeah. opposed to, you know, making the uniforms unrecognizable. And I think yeah. that's, yeah. to me, that's a huge disservice. It is a huge disservice. I, I think, frankly, it's just art that skips the point. I, you know, I think my tweet was something about the legendary Yankees and Dodgers, and the reason that they want them to play is because of their equity and their legacy, and now they put them in basically Halloween costumes where you can't even recognize it. I don't understand. It's, it's, it's a personal thing with me. I don't understand why they put them in black uniforms and white uniforms when you can certainly do the Players Weekend stuff and have them put their nicknames on their own, which is what they've done before. But you can't, you can't even see, you know, you, you, there, was a, there was a player, and I don't even know who it was, who was a first baseman who put who as <laughs> on his back, which is a great gag, but he had all white uniform. You couldn't even read it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so I, I don't, I don't, hopefully this will be a one-year experiment and they'll let them go back to their regular uniforms and let them put their nicknames and have fun on it and do the other things. But I, I thought the black uniforms and the white uniforms were pointless. Yes, and Mark Melanson did have the best one. Yeah, yes. <laughs> the yes, phonetic he spelling. Did. He certainly did. He actually had the pronunciation as his nickname. And any, anybody who's done what you and I do, particularly with a name like Melanson, 
how could you get Melanson out of that? Yes. Uh, actually put the phonetics on the back, which was very nice of him to do for us that have to announce the game. Yeah. And the other best line I heard was it was, uh, it was another rendition of Spy versus Spy from uh, Mad Magazine. <laughs> That's right. That's what it looked like. <laughs> well, John, this has been a whole lot of fun. So why don't you tell the folks where they can find your Life at the Ballpark podcast? Well, it's, it's called Life at the Ballpark, and uh, you, can, you can get them wherever podcast, iTunes, or Apple, or any of the Spotify, any of those. Uh, it's a really, it's a really, I'm, I'm sort of a rookie compared to what you're doing, Jeff. I've only got about uh, 15, 20 of them in the can. Uh, but, but it's, it's been fun to me. And maybe you've had the same experience at the end of every podcast. I have thanked the person who's been on with me and every one of them without the exception says, no, thank you. This has been so fun. And I think, I think it's for the reason that, that, that you and I are doing this right now. It's a passion of ours. Mm -hmm. We get to talk about the game that we love. We get to talk about baseball. We get to talk about sports. And we get to talk about it, in, 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 which is my intent. I get to talk about it from a perspective that isn't typical of what you would see or hear on regular sports radio or on a game. You get to hear the sort of the scene behind the scene. I, I've sort of referred to it as what you would hear in a rain delay. Yes, yes. You would hear, you would hear those great stories. And I could even remember when I lived in St. Louis and I was listening to a Cardinal baseball game and Jack Buck, who was just maybe the best – baseball announcer ever. Um, it was a rain delay and he and someone else were telling these baseball stories. And I had a chance to go over to another game and listen to the other game. And I went, no, I want to sit here and listen to Jack Buck tell us stories. Yeah. So it's that idea. It's that idea that I really want to get across in life at the ballpark. Yeah. And it's also great. You know, there's no clock restrictions. Yeah. Uh, there's all sorts of opportunity to really expand upon and, and make the stories come to life, which is really, really great. That's what I love about it. Yeah. John, thank you very much. Very much appreciate you being on. Jeff, I'm honored that you invited me. I'll have to, I'll have, to have you a guest on one of mine as well. I would love to do that. Thank you. Good. And we only touched on a few of the guests that John has had on, so make sure you check out his podcast, Life at the Ballpark. Really, really good stuff there. I want to circle back around to the Andrew Luck story. And another one of the tweets that came out was from Dave Portnoy. And he is of the the big honcho behind Barstool Sports. And, you know, I'm not a fan of the Barstool Sports thing. You know, they're like shock radio for sports. And they go more for the shock than they do the sports, I think, most of the time. And I don't put a lot of credence to what they do. And, you know, hey, but some people like that. You know, my taste don't have to be your taste. You're welcome to have, you know, enjoy those things if that's what you like. But uh, not a big fan of that, particularly when, you know, this clown, you know, basically his tweet, Andrew Luck, was the P word. Okay. <laughs> See, this is one of those things, you know, People hide behind Twitter, and and at least he's not anonymous putting that out there. But I like to see him walk up to Andrew Luck and just tell that to his face. You know he wouldn't. So why you got to do it on Twitter? Well, yeah, I know why you're doing it. Why you're trying to get, 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 get in clicks. I get it. But to me, it's, you know, my love-hate relationship with Twitter. You know, there's a lot of great things out there. And there's a lot of ugliness and a lot of things that make your skin crawl. <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, certainly, certainly, again, Barstool is not my, my cup of tea, but uh, there you have it. 
Thanks again for listening. As always, we invite you to subscribe. Subscribe. We pick up new listeners all the time, and uh, we certainly like you to catch each po- podcast that come out. Lots of great reaction to last week's uh, uh, UCF roundtable that we did, uh, previewing the Knights' upcoming season uh, with uh, Eric Lopez, Adam Eaton, Brandon Helwig, Jason Beatty. They uh, all were great, and uh, it was a, a good preview and. Here we come. Football season. Nights started off on Thursday and college football will be back in full force. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88 on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88 and the website Jeff Allen And you can reach out to the show anytime by email Jeff Allen Sports Talk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Kramer Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. It's made from the finest ingredients so it stops itching, heals hot spots, and painful inflamed skin. Kramer Salve contains a proprietary blend of neem, an ingredient known for its healing properties. A 4-ounce 6-month supply, including shipping, is just $30, and the 2-ounce 3-month supply, including shipping, is only $20. Help your dog in the itch and hot spot cycle. Order today at KramerSalve.net. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E. LVE.net.